have here exactly what Paul says in Galatians 5 when he insists on using a singular noun to describe love, joy, peace, patience. He doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. He says the fruit of the Spirit. He says in 1 Corinthians 13 when St. Paul says these three, faith, hope, and love, these three, and yet in the body of 1 Corinthians 13 he says love believes all things. Love hopes all things. The real fruit of the Spirit always come together because they're co-essential. If they're not all there, they're not there at all. Today on the Song Time broadcast, Timothy Keller takes us back to the story of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. And the lesson there to love is also tied to the other elements of the fruit of the Spirit. But first, we're talking with Jamie Dunlop about how to love those who drive us crazy and asking the question, where do we draw the line between love and truth? as those who might take advantage of us. The many voices are coming together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. Do you have anyone in your life that you find incredibly difficult to love, incredibly difficult to be patient with? And you might ask yourself, God, why why did you put this person in my life and making my life so much harder than it needs to be? And especially when I'm trying to grow in love and then you throw a wrench into the system. Why does God do that? Well, if you missed yesterday's broadcast, we talked about that, that this is a gospel issue. This is an issue that we need to learn to work through our different differences and our our strong opinions about things so that we can learn to love each other as Christ has loved us. And that doesn't happen without practice. It doesn't happen without work. It doesn't happen automatically by osmosis. This is something that needs to be worked out with fear and trembling, as Paul says in Philippians 2. But there are a lot of issues that rise to the occasion that need to be fought for and defended. And that's where we have a hard time. Where do we draw the line? Where are the issues that are so extreme that we cannot compromise? And then the issues that we need to be gentle and set aside so that we can work out our differences and work out the gospel. Well, our guest today has written a book called Love the Ones Who Drive You Crazy. Eight Truths from the the Book of Romans for Building and Pursuing Unity in Your Local Church. We're joined once again by Jamie Dunlop. So, Jamie, a lot of these issues that we're talking about are things that are really close to the heart of our listeners, the reasons they have conflicts, the reasons they have disagreements. A lot of them are are richly moral issues. They're they're not just conscious issues. They are they are issues that deal with black and white, yes and no, right and wrong. They're also things that have grave consequences in the greater scheme. So where do our listeners approach this issue of unity, especially when we want to guard the truth as well? The the truth and love are sometimes polar opposites. How do we hold them together? Yeah, and I I think you're going to find that sometimes uh, the the disagreements we have are fundamental enough. We need to split into different churches. Mm Mm-hmm. But very often you say, you know what? I disagree with this person on the timing of the end times, or I disagree with this person about who I should vote for. I disagree with this person about whether I can send my kids to a public school or not. But that's not a reason for us to have two different churches. We can be in the same church. And uh, when you've decided you're in that situation, okay, I really disagree. I think this person really is wrong. I think their being wrong has consequences, but we can be together in Christ in one church. Now I think these chapters in Romans unfold before you because now the wisdom Paul gives you is all about 
how can I love these people and even have genuine friendship with them, even when we disagree on these admittedly secondary matters? Yeah. When you look at these secondary issues, they don't seem like secondary issues, even in the biblical mm. times, you know, what meat to eat, uh, meat sacrifice to idols, what days to worship. Um, these thing, things seem, even in our culture today, very prominent as issues of of right and wrong, black and white, and yet Paul handles them, you know, he handle, handles them very differently in Romans than he does in, in his letter to uh, uh, the church in Philippi, but uh, for different reasons, I think. I mean, how Jesus approached this same issue with his disciples. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, um, saying Galatians, it seems that some people said, if you want to be a Christian, you have to follow the Jewish law. And Paul just goes ballistic on them. That's a false gospel. In Romans, some people seem to be saying, I want to be a Christian and I want to follow the Jewish law. And other people are looking down on them. And then Paul goes against the other side it's one thing to say, you must add to the gospel these things that I cherish. That's a false gospel. It's a very different thing to say, you know what, this is where I want to go, and I would love for you to not uh, make it more difficult on my conscience than it needs to be. Paul, I think, in that situation would love to educate their consciences. He's clear that he thinks they're wrong, and yet uh, he says what's really wrong at the end of chapter 14 of the book of Romans is not getting the wrong answer to that question. It is causing that person to stumble in their faith because uh, you insist on your rights and your freedom over protecting their conscience. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Galatians because I found over the last couple of years, especially in pastoring a local church, that one of my primary jobs and duties and responsibilities for my congregation is to make sure that I'm helping them walk in the Spirit. And it's mm. easier to help them walk in my Spirit, right? Uh, the yes. things that I think that they should be doing. It's much harder for them to make sure that I uh, remove the obstacles out of the way so that they can actually walk in the Spirit as the Spirit is leading them. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and we have unity in the Spirit, don't we? I mean, Paul talks about that in Ephesians, that... Uh, that the unity we have is not grounded in my shared opinions about parenting or what does it look like to be a good use of money or uh, what particular political strain is the right answer for our country. Our unity is in the spirit. It means that we, we share the same gospel, we worship the same Lord, and uh, Jesus says as a result, uh, we are brothers and sisters together. And I think Paul's basic message in Romans 12 to 14 is, hey, guess what? You're family now. Start acting like it. Yeah. I know you are Jew and Gentile from radically different cultures with very different consciences, but we're one in Christ. What a wonderful invitation to discover what it means to be one in Christ. We've been talking with Jamie Dunlop. His book is called Love the Ones Who Drive You Crazy. Eight lessons from the book of Romans that will help you pursue unity in your local church, even those who you disagree with and the process of practicing the gospel. It's a great resource. You can find out more information by giving our office a call. It's 508-362-7070, or you can head over to our website at songtime.com. Well, today, as we continue our study in the Gospel of John, we're looking at how Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. And the lesson he is teaching them is love. 
But underlying that message is all of the fruit of the Spirit. In this message, the late Timothy Keller explains to us why love is such a driving force and and how you can't have peace without love. You can't have joy without love. You can't have hope and faith without love. Love is what is tying all of these elements together. Here is Timothy Keller with a closer look at John 13. It doesn't say he washed the feet of 11 or 10. He washed all their feet. And when he came along to Judas, to the feet of a person who was about to go arrange for his torment and death, he washed his feet. He washed the betrayer. He washed the denier. He washed the forsaker, see? He doesn't just serve because in spite of who he is. He doesn't just serve in spite of what he's facing. He also serves in spite of who they are, in spite of what they've done or what they're about to do. And so, you know, now here's the question. Jesus says, I have given you an example, but what's an example of? Is it an example of love or is it an example of humility? Is it an example of integrity? Is it an example of courage? Is it an example of patience? What is it? Which of the fruit? And you know what we have here? Now, this is not just, when I first say this, this is going to sound very esoteric, but it's unbelievably practical. We have here exactly what Paul says in Galatians 5 when he insists on using a singular noun to describe love, joy, peace, patience. He doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. He says the fruit of the Spirit. He says in 1 Corinthians 13, when St. Paul says these three, faith, hope, and love, these three, and yet in the body of 1 Corinthians 13, he says love believes all things. Love hopes all things. The real fruit of the Spirit always come together because they're coessential. If they're not all there, they're not there at all. If they're not all there, they're not there at all. If a person looks loving, but is not self-controlled, he's not really loving. If a person looks peaceful, but he's not kind, he's not really peaceful. Now, some people say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Actually, there's a big debate in, in, the, in the public realm about this right now. People say, hey, listen, I know people who are very peaceful and very disciplined here, but on the, in another place, they're completely unself-controlled. Or they can, and I said, that's not, that's, so that, that's, this isn't the way I see it. In fact, you can look at your own life, and you can look at those lists, and you can say, I'm really good at a couple of these, but I'm really horrible at a couple of these, so it doesn't seem to make much sense, but no, I want you to listen. What Jesus is showing us, what Paul says, what the Bible says over and over is, these things are all of a piece. And unless you see that if one is not there, none of them are there, you won't actually understand the greatness of what's offered to us. So a quick example is, you say, I see people, and maybe you're one of them, who are very, very gentle, very gentle and sweet, but they're not courageous and faithful. You know, very gentle and sweet, but they're just not very good at confronting. But that means the gentleness is due to the absence of courage or an absence of self-esteem. It's due to cowardice or a lack of self-esteem, not to the presence of real humility. Or if somebody comes along and says, I know someone who's very self-controlled, but really very unhappy. You know, there's self-control, which is one of the fruit of the Spirit, but no joy. Very self-controlled, very disciplined, but, not, but, but really uh, there's no joy. That's not self-control. That's pride control. That's a person who looks out there at the world and says, I'm going to get my act together. I'm going to get up that corporate ladder. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. Without joy, that's not really self-control. You are mastered. You are out of control. Everything that look, let me keep on going here, there's people who are, they seem very patient, but they're not kind. In other words, they never complain. They never raise their voice. People doing things wrong, I'm not going to bring anything, I'm not going to bring that up, I'm not going to say anything, seem to be just the soul of patience. But when you get underneath, you find that they're filled with anger and they're very, very, very scornful of the people that they're being so patient with. They're not really being patient, you see. What, What are they doing? 
Real patience means to forgive, but what they're really doing is they're saying, I'm going to show you my superiority. I'm not going to let you see me sweat. I'm not going to let you know how much you've hurt me. And I'm going to show in my own heart my superiority to you because I'm not going to let it flat me. Listen, whenever you think one of the fruit is there, but without the others, none of the fruit are there. If they're not all there, they're not there at all. Now, I've got to go on, but here's the point. You say, this is esoteric, that's kind of, what does this mean? Oh, it means a great deal. First of all, I want you to see that real Christian character is utterly organic. There is a way to jury-rig your behavior without changing your character at all. Let's just say you're kind of a gentle person, you're kind of meek. Why? Well, there's a lot of reasons to be meek without the Holy Spirit. Be kind of a cowardly person. Or you can really have, be so out of control in some areas of your life that your self-defense mechanism is you absolutely never, you're totally tolerant of everybody else. That's the way you deal with your own bad conscience. So there's all kinds of ways to be really sweet and loving without the Holy Spirit. But if somebody comes, you know, what, what, one, one year in your company they do your evaluation. Don't you love your evaluations? They sit down and say, you know what, you're never going to get up the corporate ladder until you learn how to really make people toe the line. So what do you do? You say, well, out of self-interest, well, I'm just going to have to know, I'm going to have to learn how to be more direct. And so you jury rig. It doesn't come out of the principles of your heart. You just do it because I, how else am I going to get promotions? It's completely unnatural. It hurts when you do it. But you see, Christianity says that you can have a principle in your heart from which both sweetness and boldness comes. And that is complete self-forgetfulness because you're so filled with a joy of knowing how loved you are. You will, if you have sweetness but not boldness, you can't just ask God for boldness. You've got to put your sweetness and your boldness both on a whole new plane. You've got to give them a whole new basis. And then they, flow, then they support each other. It's completely organic. They flow they, uh, from each other. They, they support each other. They raise each other up. It's completely different than just saying no. And the stoic approach, the willpower approach, the pride approach. Listen, my dear friends, God has made the world a much better place than it could be through what you make, I guess you could call common and natural virtue. People are friendly because they're needy. People are honest because of self-interest and, and you know, they, they're honest because they think it's the best policy. People are self-controlled out of pride. I'm not going to let it get to me. And you know, self-control and friendliness and honesty for any reason is helpful. It helps make society go well. But Christianity offers you something so much deeper than that. So much deeper than just stoicism. Just so much deeper than pride self-control or neediness friendship, you see. Or self-interested honesty. Something organic. Something that flows out from the inside. Something that becomes natural. But I'll tell you one other thing we learn. We also learn here, do we not? Not just how organic the Christian life is. We, don't we not now, by now? Don't you see how much we need the Holy Spirit and how much we need Jesus Christ's help if we're going to be people of character? I don't know about you, but when I think about this, and I have all week... I suddenly realized that the only way for me to know how spiritually mature I am is not to look at my strengths because my strengths have a mixture of the natural temperament, of the natural brain chemistry, and all those kind of self-interested, jury-rigged, environmentally adapted behaviors, which are usually very self-interested, and yet I've learned them. In other words, not to look at my strengths, but to look at my weaknesses. Look at the weak links. Look at the, look at the fruit of the Spirit and look at the very weakest part of your life the things that you're the weakest at, and that's how you know how much the Holy Spirit is working in your life. Only by looking at your weak spots. That's the way you'll know the level to which he's working, which means we are in deep need. We're in deep trouble. We have a tendency to think that we're more, we're more mature people than we are because, as my first point said, we have a tendency to look at our knowledge and how people are helped through us. And then my second point is saying we have a tendency to look at our natural strengths and we think of our weaknesses as well, you know, to err as human, 
you know, we have some of these flaws. No. In your flaws, unless you see rate, big changes, unless you see big changes in your weak spots, your strong spots aren't strong. Don't you see? If you have got a lot of strengths, but there are certain areas where you have not grown and you do not grow, there are ways, generally speaking, you know about this. Certain people are offended by you, or maybe you all by yourself, you're doing them in the dark and you can't stop yourself. You have no self-control. My dear friends, that's the place where you look to see whether or not God is working in your life. And if he's not working there, he's maybe not working anywhere. When we think about the attributes of God, there is one quality in his attributes that transcend all of the others. And that doesn't mean that his attributes are in a sort of hierarchy, that one is more important. I mean that one attribute is tied to all of the other attributes in an intricate relationship. Now, you might be thinking I'm going to be talking about love because that's the topic of this week. We're talking about the love of God. But actually, what I'm talking about here is holiness. Because when we look at the attributes of God, say his justice, God is is always fair and righteous. The leading uh, quality there is his holy justice, his holy righteousness. As Paul says in Romans 3, so that he might remain just and be the one who justifies the unrighteous. He must remain holy. He cannot compromise his character. Therefore, his action of judgment is fair and righteous because it is not biased. It is not based upon merit. It is based upon black and white reality. The same can be said about his love. It is his holy love. Because he is holy, his love is not tainted. Like your love and my love is so caught up in many different things, obstacles of, of emotions, of needs, of, of our relationships and responses to them. God is not encumbered by an impure love. His love is absolutely pure. It is holy. And the same can be said about our understanding of the, the attributes that we are meant to embody in looking at Jesus. The, the leading characteristic in them is love. So if you look at the fruit of the Spirit, joy, that comes from love, a love of God that we have a relationship and a joy of knowing Christ, a peace. The fact that we have peace is based on love. That emotion of love is what gives us the reassurance of peace. What about endurance or perseverance? Of course, it is our love, our love for God and our desire to please Him that presses us on to love and good works, as well as faith and hope, right? Both of those we see in in Romans are tied to love. Or 1 Corinthians, we see that's tied to love. Love is the greatest, and it's tying all of them together. So what can we learn from all of this? That if we want to grow in Christ-likeness, we have to consider his love towards us. We have to sit with it. We have to understand what motivated him, what drove him. And we see that very clearly in John 3.16, the demonstration of his love. God loved us that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. How did Jesus come into this world? Why did God give us his son so that he might suffer and die for us? that he would bear our punishment so that we would be absolved of the wrath of God. That is the perishing. And so that we would be granted eternal life, a life that we could not earn. No science, no no culture, no amount of, of good deeds will grant you eternal life. Only Jesus can do that because of love. And we see the same now in our relationships with one another. 
to love one another as Christ has loved us. This new commandment comes from the old commandment, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. This is the love that God has given to us, and because of his love, we can love one another. I hope that this encourages you, and if it has, I, I hope that you'll be an encouragement to us. Write to us at Songtime Radio, PO Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call. It's 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com or look us up on social media. Don't forget to tune in again tomorrow. We'll continue to unpack our study looking at the love of God and and how it's compelled through the story of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. In our modern culture, a lot of people define love as accepting everything that everybody says. Love is accepting all practices and beliefs. Hate is disapproving of any practices and beliefs. But love is washing. On behalf of everyone here at Songtime, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse, John 13, 34 through 35. Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. <laughs>